got to give it up. The views expressed on this episode of Walking Through the 12 Steps and 12 Traditions with Chris Schroeder do not necessarily reflect those of KHLT Recovery Broadcasting or our affiliates. KHLT is not affiliated with any particular 12-step fellowship. Now here's those two guys who investigate prior to contempt, Chris and the Monty Man. Welcome, my friends in recovery family. Those of you who are in recovery, those of you who are advocates, and those of you who should be who are tuning in, welcome to Walking Through the 12 Steps and 12 Traditions with Chris Schroeder and uh, myself. And by the way, that, that song that we use as our theme song for this uh, workshop set is by Thin Lizzy. And somebody emailed me, Chris, the other day and said he lost his Bible. I said, no, it says he lost his bottle. So I just wanted, <laughs> just wanted to make, make, make clear that, that that's what he was talking about was his bottle. Um, we, haven't, we, we talked about the theme song from the, the other uh, workshop, Walking Through the Big Book, but we never really said anything about Thin Lizzy. Can you shed a little light on that before we start today? You know, I don't know too much about the backstory uh, about uh, the song. I just, I just recognized in the lyrics uh, somebody who is having a real problem with alcohol, and recognizes the fact that they have to give up alcohol uh, because it's taking so much from them. And you know, when we were talking about what what song should we use for this workshop, uh, that thought, that song, uh, uh, that song kind of stuck out in my mind, uh, sure. got to give it up by Thin Lizzy, because uh, that's how I felt in my last month or two. Man, I had to give it up, because I was going to die if I didn't. And, and he's no longer alive, is he? I don't think, Phil Lichencott or something yeah. was his name, the the the, uh, the singer for Thin Lizzy, and he's, he's dead 20-some years now. He's been going a long time. Yeah, a long, long time. All right. Maybe he, was, maybe he wasn't able to give it up. I don't think he was. You know, who, who knows? Who knows? <laughs> well, it's good to be back uh, in the, the studio. And I know sometimes we talk about things. If somebody purchases this uh, or has this workshop on DVD, audio DVD, which we're going to make available at some point, um, it might say, sound out of place. But uh, I just got listeners. I just returned from uh, a, a wonderful conference down in Los Angeles and these things just suck the life out of me though because you're just going from the minute that you wake up early to drive to to the airport and then get there and go through all this stuff Chris I have to I have to say this I promised I would and I'm going to do it David Nolt was nine months uh, first time in in recovery nine months clean and sober this young man he's like in his mid-20s uh, he's a, a member of Serene Center, Andrew Martin's uh, Serene Center down there. This guy met us at the airport with the, with the sign, you know, that said Monty and Marsha, you know, something's at conference. And he'd never done that before. And it was a real act of humility for him because he said, for the first 20 minutes, I sat through with my head down and that sign up, you know, because I didn't know how to act. And he was dressed nice. He was enthusiastic. And this guy... He literally ran that entire registration 
for like 700 people with one computer. And he oh. did such a bang-up job. He was like our personal Sherpa. If, if he didn't know the answer to something, he made sure he got it. And he got it within five to ten minutes. He was up in our room. He brought our stuff up. He brought our stuff down. He helped us set up. This kid was on fire for his recovery. And I just wanted to give a shout-out to him. And, and we gave him a copy of Walking Through the Big Book. And, and he was so excited, man. Uh, it well, takes that's, a, that's great. It takes a lot of work you know, to I, put those things I on. Have, I have a lot of respect for Andrew Martin and Alan Berger, the, the, the two people who, who put on that conference. Uh, they, they really have a clue. And, you know, it's, it's unfortunate that there are so many people who uh, make a living in the addiction and alcoholism treatment field <laughs> who don't even know what they're doing. Yeah. So who can't even, who don't even understand, the, you know, the first step or what powerlessness looks like. You know, we were talking about that before the show. But, uh, but Alan and Andrew are, are, are two people who are, you know, uh, their motives are, are wonderful. Uh, their personalities are just infectious. And their heart is really in, uh, you know, finding finding ways to educate people on the best practices, really, for uh, for for treatment of addictive illness. And you know, they put it they put a great event on. Uh, I'm a little I'm a little partial to the Cape Cod Symposium and the West Coast Symposium myself, uh, but that's because I'm a board member of uh, of C4, and those are our conferences. Uh, but I do know, and you know, Monty, you mentioned being worn out after a conference. <laughs> I used to have to, I used to have to go to conferences and literally do twenty interviews a day. Uh, we would start at eight in the morning and we'd be done at eleven o'clock at night for multiple days in a row. And and I left everything on the table. There was nothing left of me. Right. You know, when I when I was on the way home, I was uh, I was in a coma. Uh, I, I know how difficult it is uh, you know, to, to, to do those things. <laughs> it was so, so funny because on Saturday night, I'm still up at 3 a.m. in the hallway at, at our at the radio station booth, and the, the, there's these these maids and stuff. And they're vacuuming around me and stuff, you know. And this one lady says, "Are you still here?" And I said, "I gotta get these shows up, man. If it kills me, <laughs> uh, it, it just uh, it does take it out of you." But you know. It's something you love to do. I, I don't. I don't think people could survive this kind of stuff if they didn't love what they were doing. Yeah, there. You know, there's a there's a spiritual characteristic too, uh, to this, and there's uh, there's a commitment to this, especially if you you know you're, you're sober yourself. If you found found recovery yourself, uh, you're, sure, you're in it for more than uh, you know more than the dollar in the basket. Yeah, that's you're for sure. It for a lot of different reasons. And, you know, there are some great people that revolve around, uh, you know, professional uh, treatment and, and education. And some, some real good friends of mine were out there. You, you, were, you were hanging out with Dan Griffin, who's a, a very good friend of mine. I do, I do a, lot of, a lot of work with him. And a number of other people that, uh, that I, I think are very cool. So I'm glad you had a chance to do that. Yeah, it was awesome. Okay, we're at step seven in uh, the book, The Twelve Steps and Twelve traditions aa approved literature um humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings let's take it from there yeah or back know, up a little bit however you want to is, do it uh, step seven is just awesome it's uh, it's very challenging now when you when you read the paragraph that covers step seven in the book alcoholics anonymous uh it's a very, very potent paragraph, but it can lead you to believe that it's a very quick step. 
it's over in a few minutes, and you move on. And that's true, but that's not true. You know, when you're moving through the steps initially, uh, yes, it's a prayer, and, and then you move into step eight and, and step nine. Uh, but in the 12 and 12, uh, after uh, Bill Wilson had had uh, 15 years, 10 or 15 years, to really uh, uh, digest the import of this particular step, he had a lot more to write about it. He certainly wrote a lot about humility. We'll start reading in, in a second. But, you know, really the concept, where I am personally with, with this step today is, is that there's a there's a level of participation I have to have there's a level of desperation that I have to have uh, for 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 my part in these steps. It says that God will not render us white as snow without our cooperation. So we need to cooperate. We, there, there needs to be cooperation on our part for the removal of these character defects. And when we look at say when we look at our our drinking, Monty, you know, our our, our drinking got to such an extent that we were absolutely desperate. We were we were scared. We were desperate. Uh, we, we 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 knew that you know to to keep on the way we were going was just going to mean you know death and disgrace. So so there was a level of of willingness. There was a, a level of participation in us where it concerned the removal of the obsession uh, of the mind, which uh, which would uh, continually bring us back to, to alcohol and drugs. You know, what, what this step, what step seven is, is kind of asking us to look at, I think, this is where I am with this step today is, is that I may not have that sense of desperation, I may not have that sense of surrender to a particular character defect, but, but if, if I don't, if I don't take the character defect as a serious piece of business and and do the spiritual work on it and uh, make the demonstration to turn that defect of character over to the care of God, if I don't take it as a serious piece of business, uh, I can't really expect the, that character defect to, to be removed. Does that make any sure. sense? Yes, it does. <clears throat> All right, let's start reading here. This is Step 7. This is uh, from the 12 Steps and 12 Traditions on page 70. Step 7, humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. Since this step so specifically concerns itself with humility, we should pause here to consider what humility is and what the practice of it can mean to us. Indeed, the attainment of greater humility is the foundation principle of each of AA's 12 Steps. For without some degree of humility, no alcoholic can stay sober at all. Nearly all AAs have found, too, that unless they develop much more of this precious quality than may be required just for sobriety, they still haven't much chance of becoming truly happy. Without it, they cannot live to much useful purpose or, in adversity, be able to summon the faith that can meet any emergency. So that's how important humility is. Now, there's many different definitions of humility. You can look this up in a number of different dictionaries. So my, my personal uh, favorite definition of humility is basically an accurate self-appraisal. Understand, understanding truly where I fit into this you know, cosmic game of, of life, what power I have and what power I don't have, you know, what, what I can control and what I can't control. Uh, you know, just how important I am and just how not important I am. You know, I, I need to have an accurate self-appraisal with all of that uh, to be able to 
to to have the right you know philosophy, the right belief system, the right temperament, the right attitude uh, to move forward into this recovery process. Well, um, I've got a, a friend that he when he speaks on humility, he'll say. I, to, I was told by an old-timer that if you talk about humility, you don't know anything about it. But then he'll go on for 15 minutes and talk about it. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and that's great. But um, why is it that alcoholics tend to, when it comes to this topic of humility, at least what I hear out here, is what I'm not. It's, you know, I'm not this, I'm not humble, I'm selfish, I'm self-seeking, I'm self-centered, I'm not a humble person at all, on and on and on and on about all the, 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 the downside of the same. But I think humility also recognizes who I am, that I'm not, I'm not higher than, but I'm not also lower than either. I agree. I agree with you. An accurate self-appraisal weighs both the assets both sides, and the liabilities. Yeah. And the liabilities. Yeah, you Absolutely. Bet. Now, it's, it's, it's the liabilities that will get us drunk and that, that need to be removed. The assets, you know, we can leave well enough alone, and, and you know, God will do God's job on those. But, uh, but we, we definitely need to be looking uh, quite closely at our, our liabilities. And I guess that's probably what happens uh, to some people is they, they're concentrating so much on those character defects that, uh, that you know, they're... they're uh, their attitude has turned a little bit more negative than it should have. Right. I don't. I don't see the exercise of looking at one's character defects and uh, participating in their removal as a ver- as a negative exercise. I, I think. I think that there's a positive aspect to it, and I think we can we can be quite pleased with ourselves that we're even attempting uh, the removal of character defects. There's a lot of people out there in the world, Monty, who who, who don't you know. Uh, uh, Examining their character defects is not high on their priority list. They, you know, they don't see that as something that they need to do at all. Right. And and here we are, you know, as a, uh, as an uh, as an operational methodology in the twelve step process, looking at our character defects and moving toward their r- removal. Um, that's something that's commendable. I, I don't care what anybody says. And humility can uh, include uh, uh, seeing seeing your assets as well as your liabilities, like you said. Yeah, yeah. Humility, as a word and as an ideal, has a very bad time of it in our world. Not only is the idea misunderstood, the word itself is often intensely disliked. Many people haven't even, even a nodding acquaintance with humility as a way of life. Much of the everyday talk we hear and a great deal of what we read highlights man's pride in his own achievements. With great intelligence, men of science have been forcing nature to disclose her secrets. The immense resources now being harnessed promise such a quantity of material blessings that many have come to believe that a man-made millennium lies just ahead. Poverty will disappear, and there will be such abundance that everybody can have all the security and personal satisfactions he desires. The theory seems to be that once everyone's primary instincts are satisfied, there won't be much left to quarrel about. The world will then turn happy and be free to concentrate on culture and character. Solely by their own intelligence and labor, men will have shaped their own destiny. Certainly no alcoholic and surely no member of AA wants to depreciate uh, material achievement. 
nor do we uh, do we enter into debate with the many who still so passionately cling to the belief that to satisfy our basic natural desires is the main object of life. But we are sure that no class of people in the world ever made a worse mess of trying to live by this formula than alcoholics. For thousands of years, we have been demanding more than our share of security, prestige, and romance. When we seemed to be succeeding, we drank to dream still greater dreams. When we were frustrated, even in part, we drank for oblivion. Never was there enough of what we thought we wanted. This comes from selfishness, self-centeredness being the root of our troubles, Monty. Mm -hmm. We see the world from self-centered, self-absorbed perspective, and we make decisions based on self about how we can get more money, power, sex, more security, and we make those decisions, and those decisions put us at odds with the world. Uh, we uh, Selfishness and self-centeredness is part of the illness of alcoholism and drug addiction. So humility is a necessary antidote to that selfishness and that self-centeredness. Having an accurate self-appraisal of what we really are, you know, what part we really play in this drama of life is necessary for us to be able to start to overcome some of that selfishness and self-centeredness, because that selfishness and self-centeredness is what kills us. It's what drives us into the delusional state of, uh, of relapse and, uh, and alcoholism. So, you know, we, we definitely need to, uh, need to get right-sized. We definitely need to uh, be restored to sanity. Uh, you know, when I think of self-appraisal, I, I, I think of inventory work. I also think of uh, not wanting to look at some things. I mean, you know, I, I've heard people say, what is it about, about you that if you told me you are convinced I would run away? And I'm thinking, you know, we do that to ourselves, too. I mean, yeah, I look in the mirror and I say, if I'm really honest about this, I might just I just might take my life or I might just go back out and drink if I if I bring this up or I might just run away. We don't like to do that. You know, earlier we talked about how no one practically no one likes to admit complete defeat. Uh, this is really sticky stuff for for a lot of people, and and in in this step when we're talking about this, I mean we're going further than just taking an inventory. We're going deeper and deeper as we go through these steps. Um, it's hard stuff, man. You know the, the the great thing about this work is there's a there's an ultimate persuader, and that is alcohol, and that is what alcohol does to us. There's a lot of resistance, 99% of the alcoholics and the drug, drug addicts who confront the spiritual recovery process have issues with it, have, you know, there's, they, they have philosophical difficulties with the God thing. A lot of people do, maybe not 99%, but a huge amount of them do. And they, they truly think that they just need to figure this out. They need to be educated. They need to get the, get the bag of tricks they, they need to understand, you know, what, what's tripping them up. If only they could get a better understanding of alcoholism, they could overcome it. And those, those are people who believe that by their own self-knowledge or their own self-ability, they'll be able to recover from alcoholism. But there's a great persuader out there. 
And what that persuader is, is it's the bottle of booze. And it's the question, how is that working for you? If you're out there and you're putting your own uh, recovery process together and you're deciding how you're going to stay separated from alcohol, if you're an alcoholic, you're probably not doing a very good job at it. You're probably very confused about why you continue to keep drinking. So how is, how is your way working for you? Uh, this spiritual process of the 12 steps has been proven again and again and again to actually produce results. And results can be inconvenient to some philosophies <laughs> and some belief systems. You know, but I had to learn, uh, many of us have to learn the hard way. We have to be beaten into submission and surrender. Uh, many of us do. But uh, if, if we're lucky, you know, and we stay around and we continue to pay attention to this stuff, we'll, we'll get desperate enough to actually try the 12-step process, which we don't think will work. You know, we'll get desperate enough to try that. And It'll work, <laughs> you know. Uh, so uh, that's that's an, kind of an amazing process. Yeah, yep. In all these strivings, so many of them well-intentioned, our crippling handicap had been our lack of humility. We had lacked the perspective to see that character building and spiritual values had to come first, and that material satisfactions were not the purpose of living. Quite characteristically, we we had gone all out in confusing the ends with the means. Instead of regarding the satisfaction of our material desires as the means by which we could live and function as human beings, we had taken these satisfactions to be the final end and aim of life. True, most of us thought good character was desirable, but obviously good character was something one needed to get on with the business of being self-satisfied. With a proper display of honesty and morality, we'd stand a better chance of getting what we really wanted. But whenever we had to choose between character and comfort, the character building was lost in the dust of our chase after what we thought was happiness. Seldom did we look at character building as something desirable in itself, something we would like to strive for whether our instinctual needs were met or not. We never thought of making honesty, tolerance, and true love of man and God the daily basis of living. But we need to do that, Monty. We need... You know, when confronted with the right thing to do and the thing that will profit us most, so often the difference between sobriety and drunkenness is making the choice to do the right thing. You know, character building and spiritual progress has to be before material needs and personal needs. And that's that's part of recovery. I, I think we, we turn a corner in recovery, and all of a sudden we... We see that we're 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 actually more ethical, we're, we're actually more honest than uh, than than we've been in the past, and we're we're making better decisions, uh, you know, more uh, with with morality more in mind, and that's uh, that's a key sign of uh, of true recovery. It's interesting because if you, if you meet people uh, for the first time, and you're you can you can pick. I mean, if if you're in uh, and surrounded around 12-steppers and, and people that are in recovery, and you meet somebody for the first time, it doesn't take long without them being specific to figure out, uh, you know, where where they are uh, when it comes to if they're in recovery, if they I – mean, and not just by the, 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 the language of recovery necessarily, but by their mannerisms and how they treat other people. And, and if you just listen to them a little bit, I, I can usually tell when somebody – you know, has God in their life just by, by talking to them for five minutes. Um, I could certainly see it w when they've got recovery going on. The 
saddest thing that any of us see, Mon, is people trying to get sober and trying to get clean who have a, the, the slightest intention of changing their behaviors or, or the slightest uh, belief that they need to become uh, better people to yeah. do so. That's, that's sometimes the, the saddest thing that we, we will see. Uh, but it, it's, it happens all the time sure out does. there. This lack of anchorage, anchorage to any permanent values, this blindness to the true purpose of our lives, produced another bad result. For just so long as we were convinced that we could live exclusively by our own individual strength and intelligence, for just that long was a working faith in a higher power impossible. This was true even when we believed that God existed. We could actually have earnest religious beliefs which remained barren because we were still trying to play God ourselves. <laughs> yeah. as long, what a great paragraph this is. As long as we place self-reliance first, a genuine reliance upon a higher power was out of the question. That basic ingredient of all humility, a desire to seek and do God's will, was missing. <laughs> For us, the process of gaining a new perspective was unbelievably painful. It was only by repeated humiliations that we were forced to learn something about humility. It was only at the end of a long road marked by successive defeats and humiliations and the final crushing of our self-sufficiency that we began to feel humility as something more than a condition of groveling despair. Every newcomer in Alcoholics Anonymous is told and soon realizes for himself that his humble admission of powerlessness over alcohol is his first step toward liberation from its paralyzing grip. So it is that we first see humility as a necessity. But this is the barest beginning to get completely away from our aversion to the idea of being humble, to gain a vision of humility as the avenue to true freedom of this human spirit, to be willing to work for humility as something to be desired for itself, takes most of us a long, long time. A whole lifetime geared to self-centeredness cannot be set in reverse all at once. Rebellion dogs are every step. Selfishness and self-centeredness is too big of a problem, Monty, for us to handle alone. We need God's help and God's grace to be able to move away from that. You know, to be self-centered, we, we need to ultimately be God-centered. And that's really the treatment for alcoholism, is to be God-centered. And it, it, it is like pulling teeth sometimes. Well, you know, selfishness... The selfishness and self-centeredness thing is like a cancer. It is so, uh, I mean, that has attacked every lymph node in the body and every organ. I mean, it is so entwined in us that even at our best behavior, you know, you know how the big book talks about um, we either become, uh, you know, I'm going to paraphrase here. We either become ag agitated and, and, and cruel or whatever, or we become really nice, you know, but both of them, can be centered in self-centeredness and selfishness. It's so intertwined in us, we don't even realize when we're doing it, Chris. Uh, yeah, you're you're so ill, you don't even realize you're ill. Or you're so self-centered, you, you don't know that there's another way. Yeah. You you're you're looking out uh you're looking out into the world through your eyes and you don't you, you don't even have another perspective that this is not about you. <laughs> you know, you are, only, you are only one in billions of of God's children. You're one in billions. You're not the center of the universe, and that so, sometimes that's that's like a you know a complete revelation to an alcoholic because really you know being uh, 
being self-absorbed and self-obsessed is the true uh, malady of the alcoholic. Well, yeah, I didn't. I, I was so self-absorbed. I did. I really didn't believe I was. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, you think you're actually well. I'm actually a good guy. Yeah, you're. You're a good. All you ever do is think of yourself. <laughs> you know, you, you're not. You know, you've got a long way to go. When we finally admitted without reservation that we were powerless over alcohol, we were out to breathe, breathe a great sigh of relief, saying, "Well, thank God that's over. I'll never have to go through that again." Then we learn, often to our consternation, that this is only the first milestone on the new road we are walking. Still goaded by sheer necessity, we reluctantly come to grips with those serious character flaws that made problem drinkers of us in the first place, flaws which must be dealt with to prevent a retreat into alcoholism once again. Here's another place where he's saying our character defects is what caused our alcoholism and will cause our relapse. He says this all throughout the literature yeah. he penned. We will want to be rid of some of these defects, but in some instances this will appear to be an impossible job from which we recoil. And we cling with a passionate persistence to others which are just as disturbing to our equilibrium because we still enjoy them too much. How can we possibly summon the resolution and the willingness to get rid of such overwhelming compulsions and desires? But again, we were driven on by the inescapable conclusion which we draw from AA experience that we surely must try with a will, or else fall by the wayside. At this stage of our progress, we are under heavy pressure and coercion to do the right thing. We are obliged to choose between the pains of trying and the certain penalties of failing to do so. These initial steps along the road are taken grudgingly, yet we do take them. We may still have no very high opinion of humility as a desired personal virtue, but we do recognize it as a, a necessary aid to our survival. But when we have taken a square look at some of these defects, have discussed them with another, and have become willing to have them removed, our thinking about humility commences to have a wider meaning. By this time, in all probability, we have gained some measure of release from our more devastating handicaps. We enjoy moments in which there is something like real peace of mind. To those of us who have hitherto known only excitement, depression, or anxiety, in other words, to all of us, this newfound peace is a priceless gift. Something new indeed has been added. Where humility had formerly stood for a forced feeding on humble pie, it now begins to mean a nourishing ingredient which can give us serenity. This improved perception of humility starts another revolutionary change in our outlook. Our eyes begin to open to the immense values which have come straight out of painful ego puncturing. Until now, our lives have been largely devoted to running from pain and problems. We fled from them as from a plague. We never wanted to deal with the fact of suffering. Escape via the bottle was always our solution. Character building through suffering might be all right for saints, but it certainly didn't appeal to us. Then in AA, we looked and listened. Everywhere we saw failure and misery transformed by humility into priceless assets. We heard story after story of how humility had brought strength out of weakness. In every case, pain had been the price of admission into a new life, but this admission price had purchased more than we expected. It brought a measure of humility, which we soon discovered to be a healer of pain. We begin to fear pain less and desire humility more than ever. You know, another characteristic of humility, Monty, is willingness. Willingness to engage in a spiritual process. That, that comes from humility, too, because an accurate self-appraisal will show us that you know, without uh, a surrender, without a willingness to 
to, to work towards spiritual gain, we are not going to be able to stay sober, and we're going to continue to suffer. And then after we get sober, we realize that we're still suffering because these character defects are gnawing away right. at us. So we move maybe to the next level of step six and seven, which is to, to, to become willing to have God remove these defects of character. And then, uh, then the, the, the act of humbly asking God to remove, and humbly meaning, you know, from a position of surrender and, uh, and an understanding that these are too big for us. You know, with that type of humility, we ask God to remove these defects of character. And then we really start to grow spiritually. You know, it talks here about about suffering and how that might be good for for saints and so forth. But for us, you know, we don't want to go through that. But the willingness that says, "I'm willing to do this. I'm 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 going to move forward in this, even though I have either either experienced pain by doing this, or I have been told by people that have experienced that I'm going to experience pain. They've counted the cost with me." And I'm still willing to do this because because it's what my heart deeply, deeply desires. My flesh wants to run, but by, my heart wants to change. And, uh, you know, I got to tell you, I think one of the things that we do with sponsors or we don't do with sponsees enough is count the cost with them. Yeah. We're, we're not you're not going to get through this stuff without some heartache. It just is 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 not going to happen. But. What you come through with at, uh, on the other side is so overwhelmingly worth it. Um, whereas in our active addiction, and actually stone cold sober many times, we don't want anything to do with. Uh, and so God comes in, and this is why, you know, that's why the third step is before the seventh, obviously. God comes in and does a work in us through this process. Uh, because I got to tell you, if he hadn't done something in this process by step seven, I would still have been wanting to run, Chris. Yeah, yeah, you know, I, I, I totally, I totally agree. There's, there's a grace at work, even in our ability to recognize these character defects, oh, let man. alone move toward their removal. Sure, there's, there's, there's a grace at work. Sometimes, sometimes, sometimes God grabs us by the scruff of the neck, shakes us, and says, and says, enough, enough. This needs to be over. I've got other work for you. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know. You know. My mom used to. Uh, she used to strip old furniture that had been painted. Beautiful, beautiful wood that had been painted over with layers and layers of paint. And you know, I mean, if that if that dresser or that chair had feelings, that would really, really hurt. Can you imagine having your skin stripped uh, layer by layer? to get to the beautiful part. But when she was done, it was incredible. And I think that's sometimes what we have to go through. Oh, there's no doubt. There's no doubt. Listen, it's, this is not for the meek of heart, <laughs> the, this recovery process. It is, it is definitely not, not, for, uh, not for the faint of heart. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's some pretty, pretty tough stuff that we need to get involved with. Um, during this process of learning more about humility, the most profound results of all was the change in our attitude toward God. And this is true whether we had been believers or unbelievers. We begin to get over the idea that the higher power was a sort of bush league pinch hitter to be called upon only in emergency. The notion that we would still live our own lives, God helping a little now and then, began to evaporate. Many of us who had thought ourselves religious awoke to the limitations of this attitude, 
In refusing to place God first, we had deprived ourselves of his help. But now the words, of myself I am nothing, the Father doeth the works, began to carry great promise and meaning. Mm. So we needn't always be bludgeoned and beaten into humility. It could come quite as much from our voluntary reaching for it as it could from unremitting suffering. A great turning point in our lives came when we sought for humility as something we really wanted rather than as something we must have. It marked the time when we could commence to see the full implication of Step 7. Humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. As we approach the actual taking of Step 7, it might be well if we AAs inquire once more just what our deeper objectives are. Each of us would like to live at peace with himself and with his fellows. We would like to be assured that the grace of God can do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. We have seen that character defects based upon short-sighted or unworthy desires are the obstacles that block our path toward these objectives. We now clearly see that we have been making unreasonable demands upon ourselves, upon others, and upon God. The chief activator of our defects has been self-centered fear, primarily fear that we would lose something we already possessed or would fail to get something we demanded. Living upon a basis of unsatisfied demands, we were in a state of continual disturbance and frustration. Therefore, no peace was to be had unless we could find a means of reducing these demands. The difference between a demand and a simple request was plain to anyone. The seventh step is where we make the change in our attitude, which permits us, with humility as our guide, to move out from ourselves towards others and towards God. The whole emphasis of step seven is on humility. It is really saying to us that we we now ought to be willing to try humility in seeking the removal of our own shortcomings, just as we did when we admitted that we were powerless over alcohol and came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. If that degree of humility can enable us to find the grace by which such a deadly obsession could be banished, then there must be hope for the same results respecting any other problem we could possibly have. That is such a statement of hope, Lonnie. That it's basically saying every character defect, every problem you can have, if you go to God in that attitude and perspective of humility, of humbly asking God to, to remove these defects of character, and then per- participate in the removal of those character de- defects with a, a, a rigorous course of spiritual action, anything and everything is possible. It's just amazing. Here's the old bait and switch, right, Chris? I mean, you know, oh, you come into Alcoholics Anonymous to get sober, and we don't know what that means. And then later on we find out that it it goes much deeper than that. And now, and I'll just read it again, if that degree of humility could enable us to find the grace by which such a deadly obsession could be banished, then there must be hope of the same result respecting any other problem we could possibly have. So, yes, I can apply these principles in all of my affairs. Alcohol, as an outward manifestation, or the abuse of it and the addiction to it, as an outward manifestation of an inward condition, as uh, is merely a symptom of our illness, uh, has very little to do with uh, where we want to go with our lives. Um, if we're seeking out this this power and recognizing that we're powerless. All of a sudden, the whole topic of alcohol becomes really mute, doesn't it? You know, Monty, you learn so much. I mean, you come, you come into a 12-step fellowship to separate from, uh, from what you are powerless over. 
then you realize that you're spiritually deficient and you need to embark upon uh, uh, spiritual progress and practices and, and, uh, and steps. And you, you, out of desperation, you do that. And then you, then you start to discover the wonderful promises and the wonderful benefits of recovery. The true implication of Step 7, Monty, is this. Your life is no longer your business. <laughs> it is God's business. And you are about the Father's business. And that sounds, prior to, prior to becoming spiritual enough to make that type of uh, uh, an observation, that sounds like it's going to be terrible. What it ends up being is it ends up being a life filled with more power than you can imagine, than you can use, more opportunities than you ever knew existed, more wonderful coincidences and experiences than you ever would have expected, and a, a true, satisfying, wonderful life when life is no longer your business, it's God's. Yeah, wow. Boy, you know... <laughs> I've had friends that um, that have nothing to do with uh, that never even some of which have never even heard of twelve steps. Um, who, if they would just give this thing a chance, you know, gosh, their life would be so much better. I mean, they don't necessarily have an addiction problem or a alcohol problem, or, but they've got life problems, you know, and. I got another friend, he's a recovery comedian, that says, how how arrogant can we be to say these 12 steps can work for everybody? Other people don't, they don't, they don't you know, slam the door on their fiancé. They don't, they don't uh, cuss out the cash register operator. They don't, I'm thinking, well, yeah, they do. Sure they do. I mean, I don't kind of rock this guy lives under. Uh, but, uh, man, and what a gift to have to have these things. What What God did for Bill... In uh, putting this stuff together, uh, alcoholism, alcoholism can be a blessing. It can be a blessing yeah. disease. It can also be the most rapacious creditor you've ever experienced in your life. If if you if you stay defiant to to spiritual help, uh, so there, there's a, there's good news and there's bad news. <laughs> the the good news is Monty, you and I today are at least practicing enough. Of the spiritual principles to remain uh, to remain abstinent and clean, and uh, that's that's the good news. And I think I think both you and I do understand that our lives really aren't aren't all about us. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, we we engage in a lot of things that are about uh, about carrying the message and helping other people. And you know, there are better things to do uh, than that. You know, but we're but we're driven and and we're called to do those things. And you know, I think that's part of the spiritual world too. Sure, uh, sure. I, I, for one, am uh, uh, I'm glad I get to do all that stuff. I'm, yeah, I'm very glad. Amen to that, brother. Well, next week, uh, get ready to strap yourselves in, folks. Next week is step eight. Made a list of all persons we had harmed. Well, there's some heavy words in that. Made a list of all persons we had harmed, and became willing to make amends to them all. He says all again. Uh, I think he's being uh, pretty, pretty uh, doggone adamant about this thing. That's step eight next week in walking through the 12 steps and 12 traditions with Chris Schroeder. Thank you, Chris. You're welcome, honey. It's always a pleasure. Yeah, you betcha. Folks, our email is take12radio at comcast.net. 
Until next week, this is the Monty Man and Chris wishing Best serenity for you. HLT Recovery Broadcasting. Yeah.